this message that I have this morning, what I have entitled it just for a name or a, a, a thought to think of is, are you living in the gray? That's what I entitled this. And what I want you to do as we go through the things that I'm going to be talking about, think about that in the back of your mind. Are we living in the gray or are you living in the gray? As you keep that thought process, I think you'll see my line of thinking as we go through it. And I don't want you to confuse the living in the gray things that I'm going to be talking about. As Christians, there are things that the Scriptures tell us about. The Apostle Paul talks about matters of being free in Christ and freedom in Christ. And those are things that really the Bible doesn't specifically address. Okay, Things like maybe one person might say, you know, I don't think you... I don't think Christian people should go to movies and support Hollywood. That's their stance, but they shouldn't oppose that on other people, okay? And there, there's many things like that because scripturally, you would have a hard time telling somebody that. Those are not the issues I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the things that we have in God's Word right here that we know are wrong or God tells us are wrong, things that we're doing even though it's wrong, or things that we should be doing that we're not, and that is wrong for us, okay? So that's this gray area that I'm talking about. I'm talking about those kind of things, so don't get confused on that. We're going to look at the story of Abram and Sarai. Their names are changed to Abraham and Sarah later. So the first section of Scripture, we read they're going to be Abram and Sarai, but then after that, their names change. God changes their names to Abraham and Sarah. But we're going to use part of the story of their life. So take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 16. Chapter 16, and we're going to start in the first verse, and we're going to read about five verses there, okay? Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. She slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. In chapter 15, now I want to go, If in case later today or this week you want to read this, read chapters 15 through really 21 and you'll get the whole context of this but we have enough here to talk about so I'm going to condense it but in chapter 15 God had already promised Abraham a son that would be his own flesh and blood that was in chapter 15 verse 4 but Sarah could not wait on God's timing so she did something stupid she talked Abraham into sleeping with her servant slave Hagar and Abraham went along with it you know what I call that Dumb and dumber. Really. That's my opinion. But in that day and culture, it was acceptable to be able to do something like that. This could be done. But it was still wrong. 
in my opinion, and many people have suffered to this day because of this event that I would call living in the gray. Hagar's son was Ishmael, and listen to what the angel of the Lord says in chapter 16, verse 12, about Ishmael. It says, He will be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. So keep that thought in mind. There, hang on to that. About Ishmael. But now God's timing comes along. And Abraham and Sarah have God's timetable and plan revealed to them. God fulfilling His promise to Abraham as He always does. In chapter 18 of Genesis, the Lord appears to Abraham. Then three men show up. And Abraham knows something is special and prepares a meal for these men. It comes about that Abraham is told by one of the men that next year this time, Sarah will have a son. Sarah overhears him talking. She's in a tent. She overhears him talking and laughs about it because her and Abraham are old. In fact, Abraham was about 99 years old when this conversation was about, and she was probably 89, so they're old. Then the Lord asks Abraham why Sarah laughed, and the Lord says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Sarah still lies and said she didn't laugh, but the Lord knew she did. So in chapter, the 21st chapter of Genesis, Abraham and Sarah promised, their promised son Isaac is born, the one that God promised, and uh, Abraham was 100, and she was 90. Sarah was when Isaac was born. But here are the consequences of the earlier events between Hagar and Ishmael. After Isaac is born, there comes a, fa- a division in the family and, uh, of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael. They get sent away. And guess what? To this day, there's still a division between the family lines of Isaac and Ishmael. Out of this came the conflict of the Jews, or Isaac's side, and the Arabs, Ishmael's side. We're seeing things right now in the news and and the times that conflict has never ended. Remember what was said about Ishmael in chapter 16, verse 12. It says, He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Does this conflict sound familiar in today's world? It does, doesn't it? Just watch the news and, you know, we're seeing it played out. We're we're even praying about it. But all because people were willing to compromise and choose to try to live life in the gray. And I think that's an attempt to get what they wanted and speed things up instead of waiting on God's timetable. And all of us can do that very same thing. But the reason I wanted to use this story today is to illustrate the point of how we're good as, as people in creating gray areas in our lives to allow us to do the things we want to do. So in other words, we justify our behavior by changing things around to make it look like the things we're doing are okay. But then I would ask, is this how God wants us to live our lives as His people? No. When we do... This, what are the consequences? Well, we see in the life of Abraham and Sarah that we're still living with the consequences of what happened with them in today's world. And then as I was 
preparing for my message today. This week, I, I don't even know how I stumbled on. I was looking at some of the things with Isaac and Ishmael and and the Middle East and the Jews and the Arabs and just different things. And I ended up on Ask Yahoo, where you can ask questions. And uh, they give answers to some of them, or some of them are just questions there, and people send in answers of what they think. Well, I have a slide Terry's going to put on the screen here. And here's the question that a person sends in. Why do Christians think a person is either with God or against Him. Why, not? Why no gray area? I personally have nothing against Jesus. He seemed like He was a nice enough man. However, I am neither His supporter nor His enemy. I would say I am in the gray area. I believe in God, but I am unable to believe a human could possibly be a God. I might not worship Jesus, but I don't wish to oppose him either. Why is there no gray area in Christianity? It certainly exists. Okay, now as we read that, does that, does that not make sense to how society is today? Doesn't that explain a lot? That person put in words some of the things that I was trying to figure out. He verbalized it, he or she verbalize that just with those thoughts there. So, let's let's answer the question. We have God's word here. We're his people. So, let's answer that question. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 and then verse 24. I hear pages turning, so I'll wait just a second here. So, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. And that reads, "No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other." Or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, there's part of the answer to the question. So, I am neither his supporter nor his enemy. Now, those are Jesus' words. What Jesus is saying there is, is the bottom line is you're going you're gonna to serve somebody. You're going to serve the things of the devil. Or you're going to be involved in the things of God. Pretty simple. We want to have a gray area there, though, like this person is talking about. So now let's look at uh, the book of John, chapter 5, starting in verse 37. It says, And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So in other words, the Scripture, God's Scripture tells us, it foretells about Jesus and God's plan. And then in the New Testament, God's plan is revealed through His Son Jesus, but people don't accept that. Today... It's the same story. People still don't believe. Also, what we get in answering that question there is don't say that you believe God but don't accept His Son. See, there's no room for that. And that's the trick. We want the gray area. Well, I believe in God and that there's a God and a Creator and I believe in Him, but this Jesus guy... 
he was a good man. Well, you, you've thrown the baby out with the bathwater right there because believing in God doesn't, isn't going to do you any good in those circumstances. In fact, if you'll look with me, the second chapter of James, verse 19, here's what James says, You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You know what? The devil and his demons, there is no doubt in their mind that there is a God. In fact, they understand it in some ways better than we do because they've, they've seen some of the spiritual realms that God has blinded our eyes from. But they understand that and they believe there's a God, but so what? You know, so what? If we're in a position or in a society that says they accept God, but this Jesus guy, you know, he, he was okay. He was a good guy. He was a good prophet, but... You know, so was Muhammad. Muhammad was a good prophet too. The fact of the matter is that that isn't going to do it for us. I have some slides here, a couple slides. We'll all have Terry put the first one up. See, as you look at these, the we have the white area, the black area, and the gray area in between. The white area would represent light, God, the the things of light and, and spiritual, spiritually good things. Black, of course, is the devil and his things. We'll see our society and what this person was writing about and trying to bring about in their question is that area between the black and white there, that gray area. That gray area, that's the trick of the devil. That gray area there is not there because of God. In fact, switch to the next slide Remember the scripture that we read that we either love one and then hate the other, serve one, despise the other? Well, the things of God and the things of the devil, that's the simplicity of it. That gray area that we want to create for ourselves. And this morning when I was talking to the guys, I said, through my life, I have some experience in living in the gray. I said this message today is I know what I'm talking about. I think that's all of your stories, if you're honest. There's been times where you have let yourself get involved in things, maybe thinking, well, I don't, I'm not sure if this is okay, or, well, it's legal, or, or today's society, whatever our thoughts are that we think of to justify what we're going to do. But, but it, it comes from this craving inside of us is wanting to do what we want to do. That's what I find in myself. So what are some examples of how we can attempt to create gray areas in our life today? I, I wrote down some different examples that I see prevalent in our society. What about the couple that is dating? They're going to get married, okay? And they decide to go ahead and have sex uh, before marriage, okay? She gets pregnant and then things kind of fall apart in the relationship and abortion becomes the answer. This leads to the killing of an innocent child and all this started by listening to the devil in the first place and wanting our own desires to, uh, to live in those. And um, so we buy into lies like from the devil like we love each other, we're going to get married anyway. So see how those things work? Here's another one. Let's look at the person who is working at a job 
and starts to justify stealing from the employer. That happens all the time. And it could be money. It could be stealing time from them, you know, not working, cutting your hours, you know, blah, blah, blah there. Or taking items that are owned by the company, taking them home. And then the person ends up being fired or maybe even in jail. We see things uh, in the papers all the time about people that are pending jail or something from, from stealing money or things from places. But they listen to the devil say things like, hey, you're not getting treated fairly or you're being overworked and uh, not being paid enough. So see how we move ourselves into a gray area and say, I'm not stealing. You know, I, I'm owed this. Well, that, that's, that's a way there. Or what about our tongue? Man, this is a tough one here because uh, this applies to all of us. We start gossiping and we hurt people. People get hurt from the things we say. Then we have to lie to cover up the things that we said. We hurt those around us and we end up losing friendships. All because we listen to the devil tell us things like, well, they really think they're something, or it's all, the, all these things that I'm saying are true, or that's just what I was told, or maybe it's I just say things the way I see it, and I call a spade a spade. So, you know, I'm not responsible for the things I say. Also, we live in a culture today where the foundation of marriage is being torn down and it's being replaced with every form of compromise and improper relationships. The, the devil's selling us out by letting us think if the majority of the world is doing it, then it's okay. Well, that's not what God thinks, is it? In fact, what about divorce? You know, in today's society, divorce is, you know, people get married with the idea that if it doesn't work out, we'll get divorced. You know, that's, that's just an option. Our society, it's prevalent in our society. Sometimes people just stay married till the kids are gone. And they'll, they'll say, yep, we just stayed together till the kids were gone. And when they graduated, then we got a divorce. Well, look at, let's turn to Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. This says, another thing you do, You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. These are some strong words, aren't they? About marriage and Too, by the way, women, you know, you're involved in this too. You can hate your husband and want a divorce from him too. So this sword cuts both ways. But what should we do? Well, for one thing, we need to pay attention. We can't change the past. That's behind us. 
But we can move forward from here and be on guard like this section of Scripture here two times says, be on guard, pay attention. We don't need to view our marriage in the way that uh, if it just doesn't work out, then we'll just trash can it. We don't want to start out through our relationships that way as a couple because we're building a foundation on sand and things are going to happen, tear it down. But through the lens of the current day and society we live in, it's easy to fall into that trap for our young people to fall into that. So we need to take marriage seriously, teach our young people what God thinks about marriage and not what society is thinking about it. Remember that gray area that that people are trying to live in. We need to see things the way God wants us to and honor our marriage vows. But if you have suffered from divorce, learn from the past and be on guard. Don't fall into the same trap again and leave the past behind. Teach your kids and other young people from your mistakes. And God has brought you grace and forgiveness by the sacrifice of His Son. Okay? But we create gray areas to justify what we want to do or what we have already decided to do. But here's the catch on our gray areas. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 5. That says, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So, what this scripture is telling us here is we can act like we're in a gray area. This is, this is what it tells me. We can act like we're in a gray area or think we don't know what we're doing, if it's right or wrong. But the fact of the matter is, is God's going to judge our motives. Nobody needs to tell him the facts of what was going on. He knows that, okay? So I want to close with these thoughts. We don't want to look for the gray area or try to live our lives in the gray. We don't have to buy into the worldview of things, being gray and that everything's permissible. God has more in store for us than what we can even imagine if we'll choose to live in the light. Now, if you turn with me to the book of 1 John, chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 5 through 10, but listen Listen to what John is saying here. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, in him is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So see, isn't it good the idea there of we can walk in the light and in God, there is no darkness at all. Remember the slide where here's the light and here's the dark. And then we want to build in a, a gray area between there, the, a buffer zone or a comfort zone to try to live in. But my challenge to you 
is and to myself am i living in the gray or am i trying to make a gray area to live in to allow me to justify things that are not right am i willing to move out of the darkness and into the light as god would have me to do am i using his word to be the manual for my life my guidebook and then also do i trust uh, his word is unchanging truth because see that's part of that's part of the problem we live in a society that says some of the things that are in here don't apply to today but that's not god telling us that that is man telling us that so do we take this as our rule book and do we take it as the truth and are we going to do the things that god has asked us to we have a savior who is will help us accomplish these things and all of us know that when we try to do things in our own strength, we fail. Many of us have tried over and over again in some areas of our life and failed. But if we ask Jesus to help us and come alongside us, we get victory through Him because His power is working within us so we can get through those things. So invite Jesus to come help you in your life struggles and see what can be done when he is in the driver's seat of our lives, okay? I don't want to just leave us feeling beat up and discouraged, so turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 9 through 11, and just hang with me because we have the negative first and then the positive in this scripture here. It says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So that's, the, that's kind of a punch list there. But now listen to what the writer says here. And that is what some of you were. That is what some of you were. But you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So, see, really, if we were really paying attention to that Scripture after we hear all the wrong things, but then he says, such were were some of you, that's past tense. You know who that applies to? Everybody sitting here. All of us have sinned. And so everybody sitting here would apply into the such were some of you. And we have different struggles in our lives, different sins that we've had, whether it's adultery or uh, lying, cheating, stealing, anger, pornography. You know, we would just fill in the blank of what it was for our life. But such were some of us right that's that's pretty cool we should just about be hopping up and down about that the fact that we used to be that way so there's the there's the hope there that comes through jesus christ so we don't want to live in the gray we don't need to live in the gray because we serve a god who is truth and light and in him is no darkness and when we choose to step into the light then we become children of the light. We want to do more than just believe that there is a God, right? 
we want to believe that his son Jesus came and died for us and that because of the sacrifice that Jesus made, that blood that he shed cleanses all of us from our unrighteousness. But it came as a price, at a price and a cost to uh, Jesus, and he paid it, and that debt has been paid. Dear Father, we're just uh, thankful, God, as we stand before you right now, God, we acknowledge who you are, and also we believe in your son Jesus. We believe that he came and he died, he rose again, and through him we find salvation that can come from none other than your son. Thank you, God, for calling us out of the darkness into the light. Thank you that uh, you have made a way for us to leave our sins behind. And as the scripture says, so were some of you. And that applies to all of us, God. We've all sinned. Your word tells us that. And I'm thankful that we can leave the past behind, look forward to the future, and uh, that you will take care of us through the blood of your son. So thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.